Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined as always by Nate Atkins. Uh, we took a week off because of technical difficulties, essentially. <laughs> um, but it's also been fairly quiet on the Colts roster uh, front, uh, Colts coaching front. There's just, there's, well, there, I mean, there's plenty of coaching news and stuff going on around the league right now. Uh, there just isn't in the Colts building. When they decided to bring back Gus Bradley, it kind of put everything on the back burner. I mean, the, the biggest thing sitting out there is whether or not Ed Dodds gets the, gets the Chargers job, essentially. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where there's there's still coaching movement to be done at, with other teams, and so that could always play into potentially assistance on the Colts looking at other opportunities. But when they have both coordinators, all three coordinators coming back, head coach coming back, and there's – it's it's weird. It's it's so different than the last two off seasons where last year obviously they were looking for coach and quarterback. The year before they were looking for a quarterback and defensive coordinator. And not only that, but they that was when we knew there were going to be two different likely two different quarterback trades. One one to move off Carson Wentz and then one to acquire whoever was going to replace him. And like there just aren't things hanging out there yet that are different than you know, the, the, there's like set dates to this now, where like we just have to wait till they get into, you know, the fran- to free agency and the franchise tag period, and obviously closer to the draft. It's like until those dates come up, and that's the hope. You hope that there's not other news that comes out that, uh, you know, that this team has had with, with its with its players uh, in the past year. Uh, but but yeah, for the most part, it's it's a quiet time for the for their roster for their coaching staff and. It's weird. It's it's it makes it harder to talk about. It makes it easier to deal with though than the the uncertainty and the the kind of hectic times that like just a year ago at this time I think we were tracking like 14 different coaching candidates and three rounds of interviews. So things have changed a lot in just a year and that that's just kind of the nature of the NFL. Yeah, there there is one piece of of information out there that I know people are paying attention to and talking about uh regarding Jim Mercy's health. As as we're taping this, we are not going to get into um, Ursay's health uh, and and what's going on, the rumors. What we have is on the website, essentially. Um, what we know is on the website in terms of uh, the him being found unresponsive on December 8th, the hospitalization, all that other stuff. We're, we can't really get into anything else because it would be speculation. And it's, it's not really – there's just there's – just, no reason to speculate on something like that. You just have to wait um, for news from from the Colts, from Merce, from somebody uh, going forward. So we're not going to get into that. We're going to try to keep this podcast um, football focused. I, I, I think I think kind of the way we started this in terms of saying that you know this is a different off season for the Colts. We're talking about it from like the normal football turnover stuff, not not what's going on with Jim Merce's health. We we we're gonna like I said, we're gonna stay stay away from that. Um, in in terms of this podcast uh and and essentially essentially in an effort to avoid speculation i don't want to speculate on something we don't know um 100 percent. so moving on back to the back to the colts from, from a football standpoint if you're looking at this offseason and laying out what this offseason might look like the first real big date for this team and this is this is like you were just saying very very different uh from the last however many off seasons because there's no quarterback pursuit to worry about. Uh, the first date is in February, I believe. And it, and it actually lasts longer than that. 
I think it's February 20th um, is when uh, teams can place the franchise tag on players. They typically do not do that right away. It typically goes until the, they typically go closer to the deadline with that. The deadline is March 5th. That's the day after the combine. Um, that has not been an issue for the Colts in the past. I think it could be this year. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. It's weird to think like coming into the season last year, we thought it was conversation was going to be all about Jonathan Taylor, and he did too. And that led to a very odd couple of months of covering you know this team with what it went through with the star player, and then they got him under contract. And what it did was it you know it shifted the focus there to another star that they have as a free agent, which is Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, just finished his his fourth year, and it was his best year yet. Uh, had more than eleven hundred yards, and you know another year where he had a you know a quarterback change coming into the year, and then again kind of a, a third the way through the season, and yet you know he was able to kind of be his best self, and and that matters for, for the Colts' interest in him, and all, but it really matters for his market, uh, you know, at his position. It's it, it's it's interesting with like this franchise tag because Jonathan Taylor clearly did not want to play on it. No running back really seems like they do just because of how that position wears down and how low that franchise tag is. Different calculus at wide receiver where Michael Pittman Jr. was asked last time we talked to him about the franchise tag and uh, he said he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't necessarily not want to play on it because it is a sign of respect and it's, you know, it's more than $20 million. I don't, I don't sense that it's, it's not his preferred route. You know, he wants that long-term deal and that that certainty. And uh, so it's it's it'll be interesting to see how, how the Colts approach it because you know, Chris Bowers called it a tool, said we could use it, don't want to use it. He's Has he ever used it? No. Okay. No. That's what I thought. So he's never gone there. And, like, the, one, the last time he dabbled in the idea of it, things got so hectic with Jonathan Taylor, and he said he's not afraid of – the backlash with it, but I, I just have to think that uh, the way that that went down, like if they're learning lessons from their mistakes, uh, they've just got to handle it a little bit better. At least it doesn't mean you can't use a franchise tag, but you've got to kind of know what you're you're dipping into and if you do. So with, with Michael Pittman Jr., I think what uh, what you know would make sense, you, you know, like he, he laid this out too, and he knows, he knows super well because his dad played running back for about a decade in the league, so he grew up in this stuff, but – Franchise tag, ideally, like it was originally created as an extension window to get a long-term deal done. And if that's how the Colts want to use it, I think that's something that, that can work for both sides. What it has often become and what running backs hated it about it is the idea that it's sort of like a rental agreement for an extra year. And so the Colts have to decide if, if they want to use the tag and then which of those routes they want to take. Are they just trying to secure him here to work out the deal that they – they want to get with them, but not you know deal with that open market and free agency, or do they want to string it out using using that window? And I think they could have a couple fairly different results based on how they handle that. Yeah, I I think especially after Pittman said you know that he knows it's a tool that can be used to work toward a long term deal. I think that the most likely thing is that's how the Colts use it is rather than letting him get to the open market and let somebody else bid up the price. Um, I mean, I'm not saying you can get him cheap. That's not going to happen. But in terms of like a true bidding war on the open market, um, I think that that might be just to make sure that they still have him. 
for next yeah. year, given given that they need given given that they have a, a young quarterback who needs his who needs his number one receiver who needs the reliable target like that. I I think that you do that just to keep them from getting to the open market, and and the whole and tell and the whole goal the entire time is to to hammer out a long term deal, whatever that looks like. Now, what what does that number look like? I don't know. Uh, it's big. <laughs> it's very big. I think there's I think there's eight I think there's eight receivers right now making more than twenty three million dollars a year in average annual value. Um, it's like thirteen or something like that. They're making over twenty. Uh, that num both of those numbers are about to go up. Uh, Jamar Chase. There's other team uh, players around the league who are going to sign deals this year. So I, I don't know exactly what the what the number is, but I just it just doesn't make sense. And I know, like, if you're looking at mock drafts and stuff, there's a lot of people, like, talking about, like, well, when Mecca Pittman's gone, I, I just don't understand why the Colts wouldn't bring him back. Given, given like, his position in the offense, what else they have at wide receiver, and the need to have experienced and consistent targets for Richardson. Yeah, it really does, especially especially the main thing is that there's nothing holding them back from doing the deal. They are not – so contrast it with, like, another receiver who is in this spot is T. Higgins, and the Bengals just signed Joe Burrow to this massive deal. They have Jamar Chase coming up for an extension at the same position, and we know that's a franchise that, that doesn't uh, throw money around the same way as some others. So it makes sense of why they are – you know they have to make a decision on T. Higgins just in terms of not do we like him, but does this fit? <laughs> it, it, just about anything can fit with the Colts right now. This is a nice spot that they're finally in when they've moved past the dead money on Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz, and they've moved on to a quarterback on a rookie deal, and they just don't have premium positions that they've paid in very significant ways. Their, their big contracts are still to guys, I and mean, they're big, don't get me wrong, but they're guys at positions that don't, wreck the cap you know DeForest Buckner Quentin Nelson they if you look at what this team has spent at outside cornerback offensive tackle wide receiver you could throw a tight end in there quarterback pass rush edge rusher I mean they they're kind of due for this this is kind of what held, has held them back in recent years is they they've needed more of those kind of dudes they've got one who you know we could debate is Michael Pittman you know is he a top 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 of the of the league wide receiver no he's a guy though that has led them in receiving yards three straight years who the defense knows is getting the ball and he gets it anyway like he fits the definition of if there are 32 number one wide receivers he is definitely in that group I think you could argue he's in the top half of that group he's going to get paid like he's in the top half of the group and the thing is they have so much money because they've got six more than 60 million available right now and that number is just going to kind of go up and up as they go further into the next few years of, of Anthony Richardson's rookie deal, which is when Pittman's contract would be. And so the thing is Pittman knows this too. And so that's where like the messaging of how they want to use the tag is going to be key because they're not in a, the great thing is they have the money to do what they want to do. He knows that too. So it's not going to like, there's just not like excuses to let him walk unless you just don't want him here anymore. And, I don't. I know you've made this case, so I'll let you. I'll let you make it here. But he really seems to fit. Not only do they need him on the field, does he fit their offense? But he seems to fit the kind of player that Chris Ballard likes to sign to. Yeah, I kind of think of him as Chris Ballard's like I, may, may, pretty close to ideal wide receiver. 
all the stuff that Chris Ballard talks about in terms of like doing the dirty work and the toughness and uh, playing through injury. He's very rarely hurt. Um, when he when he is, he tries to play through it. Uh, he, he just does the job, and that that to me like it makes him a Ballard, like a, a clear Ballard player. Um, and Chris has said some of the, some of this stuff, but just kind of looking at at Pittman, I also think that like Pittman can be very honest sometimes. And I think Ballard appreciates that mm-hmm. uh, over the course of the time covering the general manager. Uh, I think Bradford, or I think Ballard believes that in a player, like that's a good thing in a player, not a bad thing. So, if if it had been, if if you, I think if it'd be different if he was like squawking all the time about catches and stuff like that. But if it happens once when they lose and he's frustrated, Ballard understands being frustrated, and emotional during games. Um, you know, I I just think the way the way Pittman plays is very very much what Ballard would like at a position that I. Frankly, I don't think Ballard has maybe valued properly uh, in terms of the in terms of the past. But this is a this is a terms of a player who's very productive and also does a lot of the stuff that that I think Ballard cares about the position. It kind of feels like Ballard's been waiting to find a receiver that he could fall in love with, and Pittman seems like a guy that can be like that in terms of he checks a lot of the boxes performance on the field can he can he do the things of a number one wide receiver can you build your offense around that you add in all that sort of you know the dirty work the blocking the uh you know the some of the just competitive energy on the field and then I do think that that uh that hatred of losing and that 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 way that he kind of raises the boats around him by you know, the, he Ballard talks all the time that when you pay players, especially when you pay them high, you're telling everybody that like, this is what we want you to be. Now that it's kind of a sliding scale because it's not like every player can now go out there and talk about their targets after every game. You have to be good enough to kind of demand this. But this is the kind of thing he said before going into the season. He said like I I don't mind at all guys who get frustrated with their role want to do more as long as they can do more and it's in the interest of winning. And that's ultimately how I I wanted you know how I thought people should ultimately understand you know what Pittman went through kind of early in the season when we had the conversation about his targets is that you know you could say you don't you know maybe it wasn't the thing to say at the time but it really was rooted in the fact that they just lost a heartbreaking game and he had two catches and he thought he wanted to do he wanted more on his back in order to lead the team to a win and what happened that week that was after the Browns game when we had that conver- he and I had that conversation. That week, he sat down with Shane Steichen, and they talked through that. And he said, "I do think I should, you know, be a more consistent uh, target in this offense." It wasn't that he wasn't getting targets; it was more the consistency. Was he in the game plan that specific week? You know, he didn't want it to be kind of like we'll use you a lot some weeks and not others, because he thought he could do more for the team and for Richardson at that time. Uh, So. Actually, I think that was just after Richardson. They just moved to Gardner. But yeah, the, the Cleveland, idea was, was, Cleveland that, was post yeah, Richardson injury. Right after that, the idea is that he wanted to kind of be an engine for that offense. So what they went did is they went out the next week, and he got the first six targets in that game. And from then on out, he had he had a stretch of he caught eight passes in every game from then on out until that hit against the Steelers that knocked him out for like a game and a half. But this is what Ballard really is looking for. He wants those guys that are willing to step up and say, "Put it on me," and then actually deliver on that promise and that's what Pittman showed this year and so 
I do think he's the exact kind of player Ballard wants here. The challenge, of course, is that like Pittman is very, very uh, knowledgeable about the free agent market. He's had high goals about you know he's he's got a growing family. He's uh, he's got two young kids born the past couple of years. He's got a lot of interests outside of football and he's the son of an NFL running back. And so he kind of grew up in this where like you get what you can get. And this is and wide receivers can do that. They have all the leverage outside of quarterback. They have just about as much leverage as anybody. So <laughs> the ideal Ballard wide receiver truly is someone who would want to take a lot less money. But in terms of getting everything he wants realistically, Pittman's that kind of guy, and I think they just – whatever that number is, I don't know exactly what it is, over $20 million, but I have to imagine that it's – there's a contract that fits well within what the Colts have available right now that's going to make both sides happy. I think it starts at 23. Yeah. Um, in, terms of, in terms of the biggest argument against – and just, just to kind of re- – real quick before I go to the next thing – just to kind of back up what you just said about Ballard. Ballard did say in his post game or his postseason press conference, the market is what the market is in terms of the wide receiver position. Yeah, he compared it to he said uh, if you're going to pay a quarterback, you're going to have to pay him fifty million, which is that, true. and he also said you can not like the gas prices, but if it's four dollars a gallon, you can either drive or walk. Right. So, right. I think so, he's realizing like, is he going to love the number that comes through? No, but he's going to love having that player on his team versus having to figure out life without him. Um, the only thing I would say on this, though, is that, again, the one thing they have to decide if they – I do think the franchise tag could be a smart route, but they need to – and the good thing for them is they communicate. He talk, Ballard talks to Pittman all the time, and so they have – and they're very kind of straightforward people and honest, and that helps this kind of a thing. I think they need to have a sort of understanding of what this tag is for. Is that, you know, he can he can tag him, and in, in now it gives us a little bit more time to iron it out, and they have to come through with an offer that's, you know, not insulting, that doesn't feel like you're just keeping him from free agency and he doesn't want to sign your deal. Um, obviously, it has to make sense for both sides. But I think what, what they've – what I think they should avoid is that sort of one-year rental. I don't think that makes sense for this team just to – have him build for a year with Anthony Richardson and then either the tag goes up to a really high number next year or he just hits free agency and leaves anyway I don't think it makes sense for them and I just I don't I don't think you I think you could get into a little bit of a dangerous place with Pittman um he really wants to be here and he uh, he really wants to sign that big long-term deal and he would love it for it to be in Indianapolis but he did say that you know he he thinks that players should model how they do their contract negotiations off of Jonathan Taylor when they need to. And I just have a feeling that if they – I don't think coming off that Taylor situation, they should go down that road of that whole threat of the franchise tag just being that one-year rental agreement without any idea or inkling of a long-term deal. They, they've got to avoid some of the that, that vagueness and that, that weirdness with Jonathan Taylor. I don't – and I think they will. I don't. I don't think that's the road to go down. Well, the end. position the position change is a big deal here. Just like it's like when quarterbacks get franchise tagged, which happens every once in a while. Like um, when a quarterback gets franchise tagged, they're doing it to work towards a long term deal. They're just trying to keep him from the market. And if if the Colts think that they can do like a, a one year franchise tag and then just move on, that's just not like. The, 
I don't know. That would be such a misread of like the way the wide receiver market goes. I would just be shocked if that's what they're actually thinking. Yeah. Um, the, the argument for it, and I agree. I don't, I don't think they should do it. I don't think they will. I guess the argument for why they might would just be if if <laughs> the number he wants is really, really high, so they tag him. And they realize like they just they don't really want to stomach that number. And if then, it's like if it's like Tyreek Hill levels you're talking yeah, about, or close to that, Tyreek Hill sets him. He's at the top of the market with thirty million. You know, and there's some people could argue that it would be that one year extension would be a way to kind of find the next solution. Like the issue they're in right now is they <laughs> that Pittman can just sit down and say, "What, what else are you going to do if you don't sign me?" I mean, he has been their entire receiving core production wise basically for three years now, and they don't have another guy as an outside wide receiver that looks the part of stepping and do a very versatile role. So, could they spend their first round pick get that guy and? grow him into that there's I could see how people could entertain that idea I just don't think it plays out nearly as nicely when 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 he can kind of see what you're doing if you tag him you draft a receiver in the first round you don't come through with a serious offer this is where you get this is where you would get into that kind of potentially nasty place with a player and you don't want to like what's going to be very key is getting into the spring and into the training camp and building this offense with Anthony Richardson back out there, getting him those reps with these players in Shane Seconds' offense. You want these pieces to be like happy and working together. And I think once they have that deal, they will be. Or if they have the tag and it's sort of like working toward that, uh, they will be. And that's that's just I think the communication they have to stress in this. I I think the the chief. Uh objection from people who don't like Pittman um, is that he doesn't make enough big plays. This is just, and we can talk about this in terms of the entire off season. I, my takeaway from Chris Ballard's press conference was that they believe that offensively, if Anthony Richardson's playing, it will fix a lot of the explosive play issues. I could be misreading that. I really think that's what they, I really think that's what they think. That was sort of his answer on Alec Pierce. Um, he said when they had Richardson, they were tenth in explosive plays. Uh, it's, he, he said it about the running game. I, maybe I'm misreading that. I think Chris Ballard believes that if if Anthony Richardson is the quarterback, that you're going to get more explosive plays for everybody, not just for you know deep threats and players like that. Yeah, for sure. And and with Pittman, I mean, it's it's just been hard to like people. I, I understand people who say there's not enough big plays because the proof of that has not materialized as much but you know his first two years he was at 12.6 yards a catch that was rookie year with Philip Rivers and kind of limited sample then he was at 12.3 yards a catch with Carson Wentz and that was the year where they did rip off some you know big down the field moments scramble drills and uh, you know he uh, he could be that guy so he's just a, he's a different type of player he's not going to be the you know, the guy that just immediately flies down the field past everybody and you throw it to him and no one's around him and he catches it and they just can't keep up with him. That's the hope that Alec Pierce is at times. But it's a it's a high bar, obviously. He uh he is more of your like you know, he's a great contested catch player who can kind of create explosive plays when they're a little out of sequence, when they're out of structure, when they're sort of like late in the down. Uh you can throw it up to him. He's Stefan Gilmore can, used to say he's he's open when he's not open because his catch radius is and his ability to go up and, and high point the ball and especially if you build that chemistry with the quarterback where he kind of knows the ball placement of it 
it's 50-50 balls are more like 65-35 in those situations. The Colts have very rarely had a quarterback for him to play with who plays that style of out of structure, extend the play, and launch down the field really at all. It's been Carson Wentz for one year. It's been Anthony Richardson for parts of five games. And, you know, they're so, – so I think they haven't had the pieces around him to, to do it as much. Now, is he – it, that that may not be the best part of his game. That's where I think the the fit with Alec Pierce, and if they can get Jelani Woods back on the field, uh, Josh Downs has a little bit more of that runaway. Like the other pieces around him can kind of make up in that area. So yeah, he's not a perfect wide receiver, uh, but but I think he's going to have a lot of big plays. I actually think the bigger qualm with Pittman, um, I guess just statistically would be he doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. So he has fifteen touchdowns in four seasons. His high was six, uh, and then he's had four and four the past couple years. That's been something that's kind of eaten at him. He thinks he should have more touchdowns. It's it's a weird thing. It's sort of like Julio Jones went a lot of years where he just had a lot of yards and not a lot of touchdowns despite being that big-bodied wide receiver. But with Pittman, I mean, some of it's that he's in the red zone and he's getting double-teamed right there and they don't have the same spacing. Uh, but some of it's statistical anomaly, too. There's been so many weird moments where he gets tackled at the one-yard line and so it's like he set up the touchdown for somebody. Uh, but I know that has been a, a sticking point for some people. It's true. If you look at his, his production, he's not as maybe top, you know, up there with, with some of the guys who may get paid around. Uh, but I think context really matters as far as the quarterbacks he's had to work with, not only their skill sets, but the fact that you're always building with a new one. I mean, he's had seven starting quarterbacks and the most – that any one of those has played was 17 games for Carson Wentz and 16 for Phillip Rivers. So, yeah, he uh, you get him some consistency. You get a quarterback who – that's where I think he and, he and Richardson could actually fit really well because that's sort of like that extra read, that extra lever to pull. And once they build that chemistry, I think it could be pretty fun. So here are the uh – the quarter, uh, the the receivers in terms of average annual value. Tyreek Hill is number one. Devontae Adams is two. Cooper Cup is three. AJ Brown is four. Stephon Diggs and DK Metcalf. Devo Samuel. Terry McLaurin. Um, McLaurin is at twenty two point eight basically in terms of average annual value. Uh, then it drops to DJ Moore at twenty point six. Keenan Allen. Amari Cooper. Mike Williams, Chris Godwin. All those guys are making $20 million or more. Brandon Cooks is somehow still making $19.8 million per hmm. year. Dude's done a great job making money in the NFL. Um, Shout out to his agent. Um, but I think I think definitely 20 is is probably the is probably the low end based on that. Mm-hmm. Cuz a lot of those deals that are 20 are um, deals that were signed earlier, and those things go up. The interesting comp there is like Terry McLaurin. It's a very different style of player. He's more your like lower volume, big play type guy. A uh, little lower volume, he still gets a lot, but like he's never had. He's only once had eighty catches, but like the yards and the touchdowns end up being the same. But he's he to me is a very similar comp because it's like they've basically played the same number of years. Uh, one more for Terry. And they both have a different quarterback every year. And they're the one guy in that offense where that doesn't really matter. And so they've kind of – those teams, based on what they've managed in their passing game around them, sort of painting themselves in a corner where they're like, 
you're the one guy who's adjusted every single curveball we've thrown your way. And Terry McLaurin got rewarded for that. I think you said $22 million, But that was like the way these work is – So basically $23 yeah. million per year. And that was a couple years ago. So the builds, the deals build on top of each other. And that's why I've been kind of thinking it starts at 23 which is right around that Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf range and could get up to 25 or so. I mean, the one thing that you could say is like – the one thing I think even Pittman would have to agree on is – He's not Tyreek Hill because nobody is. So it's you should be able to drop down from that top spot. Um, and I think you could probably probably fairly say he's not Devontae Adams. But as far as what the market at this timing of the deal can pay beyond those after those two, like that's kind of the range I think that that you can at least think about. Yeah, Diggs, Metcalf, Samuel coming in uh, above McLaurin. In the twenty-four, basically in the twenty-four million dollars a year range. Um, so I mean, maybe they can. It, I guess it depends on how how he's viewed, but um, I think I think in terms of some of these guys who are further down, um, you know, Amari Cooper's deal, Mike Williams' deal. Mari Cooper's another good comp. He's older Chris than Godwin. Pittman, Chris Godwin's deal, like those those deals at twenty million dollars a year, are it'd be hard to. I I I just don't think Michael Pittman's agent would <laughs> would tolerate uh, a discussion that starts with him being well below them. No, and Pittman won't either. <laughs> um, you can probably make a. You can probably make a. I think you can make a pretty strong case that in terms of getting into the, you can make a case that he hasn't necessarily gotten to the levels of like a Debo or a DK or a Stefan, but the, but that is a more of a, an argument that is eye test based. And that is not how contracts work. Contracts mm-hmm. work based on numbers and comps. Um, and so that's, that's the other, that's the other piece of this is it's, it's going to be based on numbers and comps more than it is whatever. I think, I think for the most part more than like, you know the fans, the the people out there who say like Pittman's not as good as these guys. Uh, I just in my experience, that's not how contracts work. It's it's about comps more than anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it works when it's like there's he's clearly not as good as like Tyreek Hill. Um, and but to your point, the comp too, Tyreek's production is is through the absolute roof. Uh, that's why I think like when we were talking about Jonathan Taylor's deal, like what that would eventually look like, we always brought up Nick Chubb because. That comp seemed so similar in terms of their age, like the, the the production they had, the skills they have, the fact that they're like dominant rushers, but maybe not dominant on third down. And his deal, and then you sort of add a little bit of an increase because a percentage of the cap, because yep. the cap is going the cap is going up, so the deal as a percentage of the cap is the way the agent looks at it. Um, that's that's kind of why I said some of those other deals that were signed before don't necessarily like the exact number doesn't apply. Because the cap has gone, the cap is going up. Yeah, and the markets do change sometimes. That was the argument that that was sort of the leverage point against Taylor and Saquon is like, well, the deal that Nick Chubb signed or Christian McCaffrey signed, like that's not how teams are paying anymore. Uh, that was sort of the disagreement. Was you know then Taylor's camp came back and said, well, they should. Uh, the the wide receiver market was the, the opposite side is that those some of those you mentioned like. Amari Cooper and whatnot, like those are archaic deals compared to what have you know what has happened to that position in the last few years. So you have to look more at 
like what the, the the recent deals at that position. And that's where like Terry McLaurin to me is similar to the Nick Chubb thing with Jonathan Taylor is that Terry McLaurin's production, everything about him is very similar to Pittman. So you just add that little increase about the cap going up. I think that's that's what I would try if I'm the Colts. I don't know, you know, we don't know what Pittman would end up ultimately doing, but it at least gets you into I think a pretty reasonable range of somewhere over twenty three million four years, stuff like that. I, I think you can also probably uh get a short term deal here or a shorter term deal here. Because yeah. how old is how how old is Michael Pittman Jr.? He just turned twenty six. Um like if if you give him a whereas I think other players are looking for a longer term deal that people don't like, um with with understandable reason. Usually when the when the, the longer the deal gets, if it's not a quarterback, the worse it ends up being. But like he could cash in again. Mm-hmm. Um if if you give him a three I, I think three is probably too small, but if it's a four year deal, um he can cash in again, uh realistically, uh if as long as his as long as he stays healthy and his play stays there. So you think about like Mike Evans is thirty, I think, right now. So he's like at the he's in that spot where he's just finished his a pretty big deal and he's gonna hit free agency. And of course he's you know, he's an older player, so like that type of value is not the same. But the market's also the cap's gone up so much, the positional value's gone up so much to where it does make like you can still sign a really, really nice deal at thirty if you are able to keep stay healthy, keep productive the way Evans has. And and Mike Evans has always been kind of a I think I know he's a player that Pittman has modeled himself after. They they met after the uh, the game they played this year. That's sort of like the career trajectory for him to take too is uh, to follow something like that. This pod is going to uh, end up being a Michael Pittman pod, but I don't think that's the worst thing in the world given how quiet the the off season generally is. Yeah, um, or at least the way it, the way it looks from a football standpoint. There is one thing I forward. wanted to to say on that though is uh, just one one piece of criticism I've seen out there a little bit from fans with this is that the Colts should have signed Michael Pittman Jr. before the season so they're costing themselves because you know the season he had is going to make his price go up. <laughs> that was all by design. <laughs> like Michael Pittman Jr. By did Pittman's not design. Is what yes, you mean. yeah. Pittman Jr. Pittman did not want. He he said he. They shut off all contract talks till after the season. That wasn't because they were going poorly. It's because they never really started. He wanted to have this year, and part of it was he wanted to have he wanted to try it with Anthony Richardson and and see what you know. You finally had that kind of younger up high upside quarterback and can create a bond with him and see where that goes. He still ended up having his best season statistically because I think he's just developed. He's he's a little bit more. Uh, dialed in and focused on practice. His game day routine has changed. I've written about some of that stuff, but he he's been building toward this. He wanted to get you know he 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 knows the position he plays, and he would love to get into free agency where there is this bidding war that um, that that moves that number up. So yeah, from the Colts' perspective, that it would have been great for them to sign him early. But you last I checked, I don't think you're able to just sign somebody who doesn't want to sign. So. Right. That's why they didn't. <laughs> well, and, and this is this is where the wide receiver market and everything that we've talked about comes into play is why? Why would you sign the, no. the, the ahead of time deal unless the Colts really blew you away with the offer? Because it's we, we talked about this all through the season about the difference between you and I did. I don't remember if we did on the on the podcast or not. If we didn't and you wanted to hear it, I apologize. Um, 
But the biggest difference between Pittman and Taylor and their two contract situations is the position mm-hmm. and where the contracts were going. And Taylor needed to get his money as soon as he could because he could see where the, he could see which way the running back market was trending. Pittman can also see which way the wide receiver market has been trending, and he knows it's only going up. So, in terms of betting on himself, like the risk of betting on himself was not really that low. If it was not really that high, because if he gets hurt this season instead of having the season he did. If he'd gotten hurt, there is still good money out there for him in the free agent market. Um, what well, I think that, that would, it, would it be the twenty million or whatever? No, but he would have had a chance to go like, you know, one year for a lot of money and rebuild it, and then just cash in the next year. Like mm-hmm. the, the the risk in terms of him losing it was basically just career ending injury or, or nothing. Yeah, and that's what's so different too is that that injury risk in the sort of wear and tear of the position and so Taylor you know think about that he was coming off of that ankle issue that that hobbled him the whole prior season he he saw how hard it was to to go replicate that that year he had and he had already had his best year too that that rushing tile season but it's like we saw this season he came back he had the thumb issue you know there's like there's so much risk at the at the running back position that can not only tank your value and abilities but like, even if like it felt like a no-win situation for the running backs, where even if he had that healthy, full, you know, two hundred fifty carry season, then what the league says is, well, you've added tread to the tires, like you're slowing down. That like no one says that at wide receiver. No one says, oh, Pittman caught 90, 99 passes, so uh, he's you know he's really slowing down here. Like you get you basically you get to benefit from your production as a wide receiver, pretty much every position outside of running back, you get kind of punished for it. And so, yeah, that's the, there is, it's not like there's no risk. If he, you know, tears an ACL and, you know, the last game of the season, or, you know, an Achilles or something like there could always be some kind of thing that goes wrong. Uh, but the other thing too, is that Pittman, you know, running backs have to rely a lot on the system around them too. Wide receivers do to it a, to a point, but Pittman had already proven coming into this year that he could produce thousand yard seasons with. I mean, he almost did it last year, twenty twenty two, with three different pretty broken quarterbacks rotating in and out. So, like even even something as bad as what happened with which is Anthony Richardson going down, that didn't like mess up his his route of having a really really good season. Could have been better, maybe, probably, if if that hadn't happened. But he 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 was he knew he was in a great spot to bet on himself, both for durability, for production, and for the market. And it, it certainly now looks like a smart decision. Yeah, um, and I I actually think it would have had to be worse than something like an ACL or an Achilles, um, because like if you look on it, if you look at like. Michael Gallup, he got he got paid uh, even after tearing an ACL, you know, um, and he was has not been as nearly as productive as Pittman. So I, I think it, it, like the the risk was really like we're talking about a you know a neck or a spine or something like that where it's where it's a a true career ending injury. I think that's the only thing that could have really really hurt his market. Honestly, yeah. Unless he messes it up on his own, but that's like 
that it's another reason why it's like he's he's a good player to sign is that there's just no concern with him like he he's a dude that goes and hunts in his free time and, and spends time with his baby son and daughter like there's no off the field sort of the only kind of qualm you could have about him on a personal level would be stuff about you know what he said about targets and to be honest with you that's pretty much every receiver on that list that we read off I think either has done that would do that has thought about doing that or forced to trade elsewhere because of what was going on like that's just kind of the nature of the position it's kind of what it takes to achieve at that high level is um, receivers really want the ball I mean like the the top it's sort of an alpha dog position. And so he's – that's what you want, and that's kind of, I, I think, what you should want. It's what Chris Ballard has said he ultimately is, is very okay with, and that's kind of what they have. Gallup got five years and $57.5 million coming off of a torn ACL. And his previous best season before that was 66 catches for 1,107 yards and six touchdowns. His other seasons – before he signed that deal, were 33 catches, 59 catches, 35 catches. So even if Pittman had suffered a torn ACL or a torn Achilles, I think he might have gotten a lot of money, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I, 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 I'm I, kind of fine with this just being the Michael Pittman Jr. podcast. Yeah. we got to find ways to do this. Well, it's week. not even that. We've, we've talked for a long time now. If we get into another thing, this is going to be two-hour podcast, and people are going to be like, well, I have to wait for the next big drive I have uh in terms in terms of doing it plus i think like we'll get to the other they've got a lot of free agents you could talk through he's not only the biggest one in terms of the cost and the name and but like this is kind of the whole situation they're in is how do they take the next step as an offense after some very encouraging signs from shane steichen and his scheme and his his mastery of the offense from some encouraging signs in in a small sample from anthony richardson and like, there's just all these like little flash point, little flashes we saw this season of uh, Anthony Richardson, Jonathan Taylor. Like they just they couldn't match up. They couldn't, you know, they both missed time. You know, we're, there's a lot of what ifs that are exciting. You know, how does how do they build Jelani Woods if you can get him back on the field? How does Alec Pierce fit with Anthony Richardson? How does you know there, there's but like Pittman's like that a very important part of that connective tissue. I think is that you have this guy that with all that stuff going on a big reason why they finished like 11th in scoring is that the one guy who he missed a game and a half uh but in the one game he missed entirely was arguably their worst game of the season on offense against the falcons uh he he's sort of this guy that's like a he's such a building block to the rest of this stuff and so it's kind of to me it's a little hard to talk too much more about that other stuff if we don't address the idea of like getting Pittman here and under contract and playing for this team, like this entire this entire project looks completely different if they were to like let Michael Pittman walk or uh, which I don't think is happening. But that's that's kind of why it's like the it's the first it's the big item out there, and it'll also set kind of once they get that deal done, that'll kind of tell you what money they have left to go after other free agents, their own elsewhere, just how aggressive they want to be. Um, to be honest with you, one other just slight little side thing with Pittman. I think the only route you could have to – you should have to not maybe signing him would be if you found something better, which is very hard to, to imagine. But it would be like if you're Chris Ballard and you're saying we don't – you know, we don't – we just don't think he's worth whatever, $26 million and that's what he's his, his line is in the sand – 
then I think you need to have a plan. You need to be that team. Like if your argument is he's not A.J. Brown, well, go get A.J. Brown then. <laughs> because like those don't just – they're not on your roster. They're not – you're not going to pick a guy at, uh, at, at where they're drafting – what pick do they have again? 15. 15. Pick number 15. It's a good pick, actually. It's one of their higher ones. But still, at 15, you're not getting Marvin Harrison Jr. That was kind of the one – possible argument is if they had the pick for Michael Pitt or for, for Marvin Harrison Jr. Just how electric he is and how, um, and what that could be, that could be like, you, you have to have an alternative if you're not going to do this. And I don't see it in the draft. I don't see it on the roster. I don't, uh, I guess maybe if T Higgins hits free agency, you could argue they're the same thing, but even that, and this Ballard knows this incredibly well, is that like, even if they decide, like if you're going to go after like a T Higgins, he better be like a significant upgrade. Not the same thing, like a significant upgrade. Because what you're doing is you're not rewarding the guy who did it for four seasons here that everyone saw like split his body in half against the Steelers to lay out for a pass. Uh, if you're not going to reward that guy and reward someone else that they don't know and that they haven't seen, uh, that's that's just getting a little risky. Like you need to, If you're going to do that, you better be getting the clear upgrade. So to me – if they're going to move off Michael Pittman Jr., if if that's even a thought, I don't know he better be looking at like an AJ Brown or or something like that because I don't I I don't see with a rookie quarterback and, and the need to get this whole thing moving to Shane. I honestly could be I think it'd be kind of malpractice to just like let him walk and not have that alternative. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think that's a good way to put it. Is is if you're not going to have Michael Pittman, what's your what's your counter? Like what's what's going to be the other option? And you have mm-hmm. to have you have to have a good one, uh, a really good one, because there's questions about, you know, I know Ballard was sort of optimistic about Pierce in terms of the stuff he does well in going deep down the field. That's not what Pittman does. Um, Downs op- operates out of the slot. That's not what Pittman does. Mm-hmm. They don't have anybody else on the roster no. who fits that at all. Uh, it would be a draft pick, uh, rookie wide receiver production kind of hard to count on um yeah no you have to you have to go get somebody uh, it would be, be what like aj brown or t higgins probably the two most available at least yeah. at, this, at this stage like i said the, the one that i don't I've, know that either of those guys are cheaper that's the thing the one thing i've thought about like t higgins is the one that is i think is going to be in free agency i don't see the bengals even tagging him just the spot they're in they were in the same draft class and it's it's possible that you know t higgins would just a little bit before Pittman. Uh, before the Colts were able to pick. So it's possible that they liked him better. Maybe they look at the two of them and think T. Higgins is a little better. Like I said, though, I think he's got to be like a good step better because he's not going to be cheaper. And so if you're going to make that swap and you're going to move off the guy that has kind of set the tone for the receiver room and a lot of the offense that teammates love so much and go for somebody they don't know, like he needs to step in and be like, okay, that's why they did that. Like, oh, my gosh, this is this is like Devontae Adams now. And if that's what he is, like, it's just a real gamble to do that because some teams have gotten themselves in trouble doing that, and it doesn't work out. The Bengals, for many years before before they got Joe Burrow, what they they love to do that, um, even when they got Joe Burrow. Well, you have to know they, you have to know a hundred percent we're getting the guy to replace him. And like, here's an example: is that the Bengals have, have done this for a long time. They usually mess it up, but they finally got it right though when they let Carl Lawson walk because they wanted to sign Trey Hendrickson. And that was a deal where I was like, okay, well, he better be an upgrade, and he he was, and like it, that worked out. But it's like you you got to know that you you got to you got to hit on that because otherwise, like the Jaguars 
teams like the Jaguars, Raiders, Bengals, the teams that were bad for long stretches that uh, that make all these headlines signing free agents. It's the type of stuff that Ballard has said he doesn't like. Uh, you're, you're getting someone out that another team has moved off of. You're bringing them into your building. You don't really know how they're going to operate. You're going to give them a lot of money. You're trying to guess on all this and then see how that like plays out in your locker room. Like Those guys have to come in and really perform. And I think I just think they have, they'll have a lot more trust in Pittman to deliver on you know a new deal in, in in this offense than someone that they've never had in their building. Ballard always talks about the locker room, but I think the more important thing is how do those guys play on the field? Because like just using the Jacksonville example, they have spent so much money on defense over the last three season, well, the last three off seasons, and they are still garbage. Yeah, <laughs> like. I don't care if those guys are good in the locker room or not. I just don't. They they, they didn't make the playoffs this year, and I know Jaguars fans are really upset about the offense, but their defense was terrible. And, like, to me, that's the other big thing is, is – or that's the big thing is if you're going to sign somebody to the big contract, you have to know they're going to perform. Because otherwise you end up where the Jaguars are, which is we spent all this money on nothing, essentially. Yeah. And so I think the argument for Pittman is, like, like the the – People who are not as big of fans of signing him, you know, it's the stuff talking about, like, what's his ceiling? Is he a top-level player? That's fair. There's some projection there. Let's say he's not, though. If he's what he's been, a 1,100, you know, 1,000 to 1,100-yard type wide receiver who catches 100 passes and plays just about every game, like, that's pretty valuable. I mean, that's that can be worth close to the contract, even a very, very high contract. If they give him $23 million, you can nitpick a tiny bit, but it's not anything that's like, you know, they lost out on this and they could have filled it a different way. Like, uh, the floor is is just so high for him. So then, then you entertain like, how much ceiling is there? What can this? Where can this go? Once he's playing with Anthony Richardson, they build that chemistry. They take some of those shots on you know scramble plays. They design more. He's like Pittman. The thing too is Pittman is entering. This is like a very interesting time football kind of moves this off a little bit sometimes based on the position but wide receiver like he's entering this very nice prime where there are guys that had like good starts to their career that like really took off once they hit that athletic prime age like 25 to 28 I think Devontae Adams Tyreek Hill guys like that like Tyreek Hill is always like really really good but he's like just totally ascended because they get to a point where like everything just aligns where they they hit their peak physical capabilities they start to really learn the game uh they they you know learn the coverages learn the opponents uh learn the quarterbacks and then they also really get dialed in and focused as individuals and professionals and like fatherhood i think does that for some guys and that structure and that that security with the deal and that's where i think i think there's more to unlock with Pittman. i think this year was actually the start of that i think he showed uh he showed some very nice strides in terms of not reacting as as much as he had in the past to changes and and things that were going wrong. There's a little of that, but I mean it was it was kind of radioactive the year before. He's he's and I've you know I've written some stories on how he's worked through that. Um, it's kind of the way he practices, the way he studies film. Like he's he's started to make some of those those shifts and changes, and I think the next few years he can do more of that. Uh, since I have since I'm a father and you're not, does that mean that? Uh I'm in a, a better spot. 
Uh, in ter- <laughs> yes, you're in the prime of Professionally. your life. I, I'm I'm less mature. So you're 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 that's more. Very true. It's, you're, what you're saying is you're you're more likely. You're a bigger risk. Yes, I would say you're more dialed in, and I have more fun. <laughs> one of us lives in the city. One of us lives in the I, suburbs. I I don't I don't even know what that means. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, just, just well, I guess some, what I'm saying is I, I, you've hit your peak. Like I can still get a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's my spin. Okay. Okay. So in general, in general, uh, until Nate has kids, you're not getting the best of Nate. That's true. That's, that's, true. that's what we've learned here today. This is, this is my floor. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I think that might be the time to end the podcast if we're getting to that point. I just had to point it out. I had to point out the uh the joke there. It does I will say I will say it does come up sometimes when we have like scheduling things at the office is that uh I have kid stuff and Nate doesn't. And I mean, that well, seems that seems like maybe it'd be unfair except that, you know, Nate could change that if he wanted to. He just has to mm, That's true. Get some kids. Um I think the part where it actually plays in the most plus, is when we plus travel. then plus then Plus, then if you're a, if you're a, if you're a father, you're less of a financial risk. <laughs> Great. Actually, we, I feel like we see it most when we travel, because um, I always take the first flight out, and Joel takes the last one, and that's called someone who wants to go to a city and have some fun, and someone who's got kid stuff on Saturdays. So we we are in different spots. That's what makes Cover Two so good, right? So you're uh, trying to remember what I, 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 I bring the heat. I, I'm, I'm the one blitzing and you're the ones just kind of hanging back and taking away the deep, the, the deep reads that sort of, I feel like we've, we've fleshed this out pretty well. Yes. So your big takeaway from all of this talk about Michael Pittman Jr. Is that Nate is irresponsible because he doesn't have kids. <laughs> and Joel said his page. And, and I didn't say that you did. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm just, you know, bringing the conversation full circle. That's what I'm doing. All right. Well, how does it feel to have peaked in life? I, 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 I've, I'm fine with where I am. I have zero <laughs> issues. I have zero issues. Do plenty of plenty of things that make me happy. Yeah. Um, I'm also much older than Nate, so uh, as he re- likes to, mm. as he likes to remind me. According to Nate, I, uh, I am. Uh, 57 and he's 22 those are not our actual ages that's that's the way nate talks about it yeah i don't know i guess i'll be 22 forever in in football terms in football terms nate's got me as like larry fitzgerald like he'd like to see me retire at this point and uh he's barely finishing his rookie deal that's true (laughs) (laughs) uh Well, yeah, I didn't. I didn't expect that podcast to turn that way, but I didn't also think we would do an hour on Michael Pittman. So no, this uh, we did not of, plan. We did not plan that. It worked out though. This is just sort of rolled. But yeah, uh, the, <laughs> the podcast we tried to record last week that went out like in the middle of it. Um, I think this turned out a lot better that we had to wait because that one did not. That was not a Michael Pittman podcast, and it was not as as good as this one. So hey, sometimes it works out. This has been your Michael Pittman Junior. Uh, edition of the Colts Cover 2 podcast. It has also been your uh, 
Musings on Fatherhood and Age, edition of the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. This is Nate Atkins. Uh, if you don't have kids out there, I promise Nate didn't mean to insult you. Thank you.